0: How are we doing? Is this thing is this thing on? Does this work? I'm going to hold this. Is this okay? You guys hear me better if I hold this? Okay, I'm going to hold this a little bit. Yeah, so just a little bit about me. I know my dad said um, I am a pastor. I've been a pastor for about a month. It doesn't seem like very long because it hasn't been very long. Uh, but I'm a pastor down in Flint, Michigan um, at Peace Presbyterian Church. Uh, My wife is with me, she's also a pastor at a church in the Detroit area, she's an assistant pastor, wears a few different hats there, um, and we are happy to be here. We're also expecting a little baby um, coming up in January, so if you notice that she's kind of big, it's not because she ate Thanksgiving dinner early, it's because we are expecting a a small baby um, coming up soon. So we're going to be out of Psalm 21 uh, this afternoon. I don't know if the Bibles they handed out had the book of Psalms in them, Uh, they do, Oh, praise God, they have the book of Psalms in them. So we're going to be in Psalm 21. But before we read through Psalm 21, I just want to make a couple little notes about that, if it's okay. So it starts out a little bit unusual. The Psalm says, In your strength the king rejoices. Now, for those of you who don't know what a psalm is, a psalm is just a really old song that they would have sung in the temple. Um, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked around on the earth, when he died on the cross, when he rose again, this psalm was probably written about 1,000 years before that. So it was written a really long time ago. We don't know exactly, we don't know the music here, otherwise we would maybe have sung it today. We just have the words, but it's a really old song. It's preserved for us in the Bible. And there's a reason that we have a song in the Bible about a king, Right? It's a little bit weird to think about a psalm or a song about a king being in the Bible. It's a little bit weird to think about hearing about a king in church, right? That's not what we normally think that we should be doing in church. But the reason for that is this. In the Old Testament, when you read the first half of the Bible, when it talks about a king, that king isn't just a ruler like we have today. He's not like the President of the United States, He's not like a prime minister like they have over in England. He's not like the queen like they have over in England. The king had a very special role to play in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. The king was responsible for the people following God. The king was responsible for, do, for the people doing right in the sight of God. He was supposed to be an example of it. He was supposed to lead the people in righteousness so that they followed God, God who had a special relationship with the people of Israel. So when David writes this psalm, when he writes this praise song to God and he says, in your strength the king rejoices, he's not just talking about political power. He's not saying, God, thank you that you gave me all of this political power. He's saying something different. He's saying something like, God, thank you that you placed me over your people. Thank you that you've given me this responsibility. The king was probably a lot more like a pastor, uh, responsible for shepherding the people, for leading them in doing righteousness. So as we read this psalm, and it talks about a king, it talks about him being established on his throne, keep that in mind. It's It's not just like political power like we would have today. It's about a king who has a special relationship in front of the people in order to lead them for God. So let's read this. Uh, Let's read Psalm 21. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to it. I'm going to read it out loud, and you go ahead and listen. Hear these words. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence, for the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved." And then in verse number 8, I didn't say this earlier, but this psalm probably would have been performed in the temple in front of people. And we know that David was a musician, and he probably stood up in front of the temple and sang the first half of this psalm. And then there was somebody else who probably answered that to him, maybe a prophet, maybe a priest. So David would have the first half, and then somebody else would have said this second half back to him as a blessing on him. In verse number 8, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plant evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing your praise and your power. So question, how many people in this room know of the story of King David? We're familiar with that? So when King David was born, let me ask you this. When King David was born, did he expect that he was going to be king someday? No, he did not. Because when King David was born, he wasn't born into a royal family. The king before him was King Saul. Saul. King Saul wasn't related to David in any way. King Saul was made the king of the people of Israel. But remember how we talked about the king had a special responsibility in leading the people in righteousness and being an example of someone who loves God? King Saul didn't do that right. So God came to him and said, King Saul, your reign isn't going to last forever. Your children aren't going to be after you. They're not going to be kings after you. I'm going to pick someone else. So God sent the prophet Samuel out to, king, or out, to David's, out to David's place. And he said, you know, go, go anoint someone because there's going to be another king. It's not going to be King Saul. Go anoint someone. So he goes out to David's dad's house. His dad's name is Jesse. And Jesse calls all of his kids together because he knows that one of his kids is about to be anointed king. And so he's got six tall, strong men who are all of his sons. And he says, surely one of these sons is going to be the king. If you guys know this story you know that one of those sons wasn't going to be king Samuel looked at all of those six guys and Samuel said he's not here the guy who's going to be king he's, he's not here are you sure you don't have another son somewhere and the answer was of course he did Jesse kind of looked puzzled he said I have I have a young son he's a scrawny teenage kid he's just looking after the sheep you can't mean him can you and Samuel said I absolutely mean him so uh, Jesse sent for David, his youngest son, tending the sheep, just a young, scrawny, teenage kid. And he brought him in front of all of his older, stronger brothers who, who maybe you'd think would have been king before him. And God picked a lowly shepherd boy, and he was anointed then, and he became king. See, David wasn't born expecting to be the king. God gave it to him. So when we read a psalm like this, when we read a psalm like Psalm 21, where it says the king rejoices in the Lord, the king rejoices because of everything that he's been given. David wasn't born into a royal family. God gifted him the kingship. God gifted him the throne. God took all of these incredible blessings and he gave them to David. Let's read what David says here. Psalm 21. You have given him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips, for you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. David takes this opportunity to praise God for what he's done. God picked David up. He was a lowly shepherd boy, born into nothing. God picked him up and said, you're going to be the king. The weakest of all of these people, I'm going to choose to pour out my blessings on you. I'm going to choose to have a special relationship with you. And David praises God for that. Verse number four, he asked life of you and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Now when the scripture says here that David's promised length of days forever and ever, it doesn't mean that he's going to live forever because that's not what happened. What it means is that God made a special promise with David. If you're into the fancy theological words, the Davidic covenant, but God made a a special promise with David that not only would David rule for the rest of his days, but his son would rule after him, and his son's son would rule after him, and on and on and on and on forever. There was always going to be a descendant of David to sit on his throne. Now, just as an aside, we know that there's not a Davidic king on the throne of Israel today. We know that Jesus Christ is that true Davidic king, and one day he will come back to reign on that throne. But that promise given to David is that not only am I going to raise you up and give you the kingship, I'm going to set a crown on your head, but God promises him all of your descendants are going to be kings after you. There's always going to be someone on the throne. And David rejoices in that. He says, praise God that he's lifted me up. Praise God that he's made these incredible promises to me and had this special relationship with me that he reaches out and blesses me in this way. But that's not all David praises God for. And I want us to focus on this if we can. Verse number six, for you make him most blessed forever, you make him glad with what? You make him glad with the joy of your presence. See, when David was anointed king, he didn't become king right away. He spent decades waiting to become king. He spent a lot of those decades, a lot of those years running from King Saul, the guy who was king before him. He spent time with nothing. He spent time hiding in caves. He spent time running for his life with nothing to show for it, very little political power, away from his friends, away from his family, away from the temple. And in those writings, we have some of those psalms. In those writings, what does David long for? In Psalm 17, verse number 15, David writes this, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. In Psalm 27, verse number 4, David says this, One thing I have asked of the Lord. If you're going to ask God for one thing, what would it be? David writes this, One thing I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. See, David had a lot to thank God for. He could thank God for the kingship, for raising him up, setting a crown of gold on his head where he didn't have that expectation at all. He could thank God because God had made a special relationship with him and promised him that his descendants were going to be on the throne forever. But David, the biggest thing he praises God for is a relationship with him. The one thing that satisfies David the most is the face of God. That's the thing he longs for. He longs to go to the temple, to sing praises to God, to worship God. He longs to enjoy God's presence forever. That's the thing that he looks after. That's the thing that he praises God here for the most. Let's look at verse number seven. I want us to notice this verse uh, in a really special way. If you you guys have this written down uh, in your Bibles, I want you to look at it there's a thing in Hebrew poetry where a lot of times the middle verse, especially if it's right before a transition to a different section, is the most important verse. right? There's a fancy word for that called a chiasm. You don't have to know that. It's not in the test. But the middle, word of a, or the middle verse of a psalm is often where, where the punch is. That's the main point of that. And this psalm is no different. So in verse number 7, David says what the most important thing is here. He says, for the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the most high, he shall not be moved. There are two statements there. When David says that the king trusts in the Lord, he doesn't mean that the king trusted in the Lord once way back when, and so God delivered him and God gave him all of these promises. When he says the king trusts in the Lord, he means the king is still trusting in the Lord. See, David knew that everything he had didn't come from men. Right, The reason that he ascended the throne wasn't because he was really shrewd in making political alliances. It wasn't because he was, you know, by himself a really effective military leader. The reason David had the throne, the reason David had anything he had at all, was because of the grace of God. So he relies on God and God alone for all of those blessings. Not anyone around him, not any ability he had in himself. David trusted in the Lord. And the second half of that verse says that in the steadfast love of the Most High, because of that, he will not be moved. You guys know that word steadfast love? If you guys see that in your Bible, I want you to notice that. Whenever you're reading through the book of Psalms, we highlight the word steadfast love. In the old King James, it was translated loving kindness. It can be translated a few different ways, but the idea behind that word, the Hebrew word is hesed. Again, that's not going to be on the test. You don't have to know that. But the idea behind that word is that God has a special relationship with his people, right? He called the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He freed them from slavery. He brought them out into the wilderness in order to bring them to Mount Sinai and have a special relationship with them. So because of that love that God has for his people, because he brought them out, because he stretched out his arm to redeem them, and God is hes certainly going to fulfill that relationship. He's going to fulfill that covenant. He's going to do so much more than that. God has stretched out his arm, and God has done amazing things for David. And David continues to trust in the Lord for all of his strength, for all of his salvation, for any military, for any political success that he has. David trusts not in, not in men, but he trusts in God because God's the one who's going to love him and deliver him because of his relationship with his people. This is a, this is a thanksgiving message, after all. So the question here, this thanksgiving, is what are, what are you rejoicing in? David takes the time to rejoice in what God has done for him. God lifts him up from nothing and gives him incredible riches. Have you experienced the incredible riches that a relationship with Christ has? The book of Ephesians talks about how all of us are born sinners. This is Ephesians chapter 2. We are all by nature, we all go out of the way, we all walk on our own sinful paths. But God, who is rich in mercy, reaches down, forgives us of our sin, raises us up, raises us up in Christ and gives us incredible riches. Have you experienced those incredible riches? So like David experienced those riches in the Old Testament. Have you experienced the riches of new life in Christ? Have you experienced the eternal life that new life in Christ brings? David was promised a dynasty long after him. He was promised kids to go on the throne. His kids' kids would be on the throne forever and ever. And so too, as our, as our friend from the Gideons mentioned earlier, we can have eternal life in Christ. One of the things I've had to experience as, uh, as a new pastor of a church, one of, one of the long-standing members of our church uh, passed away this past week. It's going to be the first funeral I've ever done. It's coming up next week. But we know, because of her faith in Jesus Christ, we know that that death is not the end for her. We know that her spirit lives on, and we know much more than that, that one day her body will rise out of the grave. And I don't mean that in a figurative way. I mean her flesh and blood body is going to get up, it's going to walk again, and I'm going to be able to have a conversation with her about the glories of Jesus Christ and everything that he's done for her. Because God promises us eternal life if we will trust in him. David had a lot to be thankful for as far as earthly things go. He thanked God for raising him up to the the kingship, for giving him length of days forever and ever. But remember the most important thing to David was the presence of God, was being able to go to the temple to worship God, to see God's face, to have that relationship with him. We can have that relationship too. Even though our sin separates us from God, even though the things that we do, the selfish things, The things that we do that we know are wrong, they separate us from God. There is freedom to be found in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ. God will reach out because of his steadfast love, because of the relationship that he's made with his people, because he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again from the grave three days later so that we can have eternal life. Because he has reached out with his strong arm in order to save us, we know that he will deliver those. He will save those. He will justify those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who call out to God for forgiveness and who look for that and look to God for their trust and don't look to any other means because we know that there's not salvation in any other. There's not salvation in any other religion. There's not salvation in any other false god that might be worshipped. There's certainly no salvation to be found in the good works that we do because even the good works that we have Are just like filthy rags in the sight of God. It is only through Jesus Christ. You might be wondering, what does this have to do with Thanksgiving? There's a lot we have to be thankful for. We live in what many people think is the greatest country in the world. We experience the the freedom to worship God as we choose. At the very least, we're about to go eat some Thanksgiving meal, and I know some of you want me to finish up so you can go eat, and I understand that. We can thank God for those things. But there's something so much greater that we can thank God for. We can thank God for eternal life in Jesus Christ, that because of his steadfast love, he forgives us of our sins. He gives us eternal life. He gives us the incredible riches of his grace in Christ Jesus, and he'll pour that out on anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ and who calls on his name for forgiveness of sins. Will you pray with me?